Join Chris and Suzanne Vester today on Faith Family Fulfillment as they lead discussions on creating a strong bond and having a loving relationship through Christian values. Guests on the show share insightful stories and ideas to enhance a positive family upbringing and create trust in one another, as well as providing encouraging words of wisdom everyone should hear. And now, here are Chris and Suzanne. Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Faith Family Fulfillment. I'm your co-host, Chris. And I'm Suzanne. And it's just us today. Um, we were able to go and spend the day at Hobby Lobby headquarters, um, and we want to actually have a conversation with each other about our takeaways and maybe share some of those things that we learned over those two days while we were there. Fair enough to say? That's fair. Um, so I'll pray us in and we'll get started. All right. Lord, thank you for this opportunity for us to spend a little bit of time together and share some of the major insights that we learned that I know that we learned through your guidance, through the voices that were expressed that day. We ask for you to bless this time, leading God the conversation, and keep us in your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I said, we were invited to spend um, basically a full day. It was half a day on Thursday, half a day on Friday with David Green, who is the founder of Hobby Lobby, as well as his sons and some of his grandchildren that are in the in the um, Hobby Lobby space would be part of it. And I want to say it was probably business-wise, one of the most insightful things, insightful days I've been to, to be able to hear a guy who started a company with $600. Mm-hmm. And has grown it into a situation where they have about $8 billion in revenue every single year. And they have 45,000 employees. You said 55. 55,000 employees. And how many million square feet of? 11. I think they're going to add to 13. Yeah. 13 million square feet of warehouse space. They have their own medical facility. Like it's. It was miles. Like it was. <laughs> Miles of campus. Yeah, it's <laughs> it was, crazy. It was quite impressive. Yeah. It's its own little mini city. Um, but the premise of us going was so that we could learn how a founder transfers his core values, his core purpose into his business, as well as generationally into his family. And hearing how all of that got started, he was you know, raised by pastors. He was, both mm-hmm. of his parents were pastors and he's actually the only member of his siblings that isn't in the evangelical space. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he realized is that retail was going to be his ministry early on, but there was a lot of takeaways there. Um, I think um, to me, one of the most impactful things is when he talks about generationally carrying your story forward you know, tied into some stuff we've been doing in our connect group is how we see is that from generation to generation, usually in three generations, and it happens in business too, is that when you have a founder three generations later, it's called shirt sleeve to shirt sleeve. In other words, the founder creates a business, second generation inherits the business, and by the third generation, the business no longer exists. And that happens about 70% of the time. If you look at it biblically, we look at the Israelites leaving Egypt, by the third generation of Israelites, they had really forgotten their place. And one of the reasons they forgot is because the founding generation didn't impart upon them the wisdom that they had gained through their experiences. 
And I think one of the things that we talked about was when you have a founder and you have their children, that sibling group is growing up in the culture. Right. And when they get married and have their own families, then the grandchildren aren't growing up in that same cultural environment. So they don't have the same experience. Right. A completely different experience, which one of the things I talked about was the importance of telling the stories of the family mm-hmm. so that the the culture um, of the family and the founder could continue to, to grow and move forward and impact the generations to come. And one of the things he said that I feel like is a great thing to do is what are the 10 stories that your family needs to know about the origin of your family, where your core values are formed, where you developed your faith. I think giving your testimony is a great thing, but how important it is that your children and then their children and then their children know what the family is based on, what their core values are. And one of the things they challenged us was, what are the 10 stories that your family needs to know so that they understand the core value system that you're based on? That was pretty impactful for me, especially being in the business side of things, like allowing dad's story, the founder's story to be told, not just for the business purposes, but for the grandchildren and his eventual great-grandchildren to know this side of the family, where we come from, and then collectively where we come from. These are the stories that have impacted where we are right now and why they're important. What do you think? I agree. I agree. I think because if you don't share that, then you end up with, for lack of a better way to phrase it, kind of entitled brats (laughs) because the expectation is that it's just always been that way and they don't understand the walk and the steps it took to bring it to a point where, in his case especially, where it's incredibly lucrative to be a member of that family just by default, which led him into kind of how he wanted to structure it so that he wasn't creating what's the word prosperity where there was no um, work. Right. Yeah. He said that, that he had never seen a situation where children inherited early money, early big sums of money early that it turned out well, like, um, which kind of leads me to one of the second points was he talked about the struggle, you know, allowing the next generation to go through their struggles, um, which was something that he and his wife both struggled with. He said his wife struggled with it more than he did, but allowing the children to struggle. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one, and one of the other couples that was there, I don't know if it was a couple, but a founder of the business, he said, what, what, what came to his mind is how many times that we have struggles in our own life. And we begin to question why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God allowing me to be in this season of struggle? Like we, we begin to ask ourselves why. And I think about how many couples we've had on here and they talked about the why. Like, like Jeff and Allie, for instance, you know, both of them becoming, losing their spouses. And, and Jeff said, I stopped asking the why because the why wouldn't have mattered. But when we're in those struggles and we're able to look back at it in hindsight and we go, oh, that's the reason, whether it be character building or um, really drawing you closer to God. I think that the character building and, and the, the story is in the struggle. The growth is in the struggle. And if we don't allow the children and their children to, to have some struggle, it leads to less and less character development. 
which is why when he talked about not wanting to impart prosperity very quickly is because he understood that character building is in the struggle. And then, like I said, the other guy brought in how many times God, like there is, there's a struggle that's happening, but there's, it's for God's sovereign plan in your life of what's he building while you struggle. Like what's the purpose in the struggle? And it teaches you how to do hard things. Right. You don't, um, you don't feel like you're going to jump ship just as soon as you have, you have some kind of opposition. Life is full of opposition. Yeah. When he talked about what was important to him, and this was actually, I think it was Mark that had this, this conversation about how they collectively move their family. But it was starting with three particular things of how they led their life. And it was starting off with good marriage for life. In other words, dedicating to regardless of what else is going on, the marriage will always be on point. You know, our, this whole podcast we started is with couples giving their struggles and, and how they use their faith to get through their struggles. But when he said having a good marriage for life, in other words, the, the unit of the family starts with the parents and their, and their marriage. Um, the second thing was it began as, now this was actually David. He said, I wanted my kids to serve the Lord. I wanted to dedicate myself to a good marriage for life. And the second thing that was most important for me was my kids to serve the Lord. And then he said, as that evolved through the business growing, that that became to eventually to be, I wanted to be able to have as many people as possible know the Lord. It was an extension of his family. It wasn't no, it wasn't any longer about the family, but it was about every single person he could possibly touch through his business and through ministries that he's involved with. So it really developed outside the family. Well, his definition, I think his definition of family changed or shifted. Right. He didn't see it as, I guess he sees his nuclear family as being incredibly important and is very obvious that they're very important to him. But I think he started seeing those people that worked under him for him were also an extension of his family because he takes care of his people incredibly well. Really well, really well. And I think he said it when he was talking about that is if we're all brothers and sisters in Christ, then everybody's family. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like it, it, you know, it was started as my kids need to serve the Lord, but I took my family and my family is everybody I can touch. And then dedication to success because he understood that he was a steward of the business. It wasn't his business, but it was God's ministry. And then he was put here as to steward, to steward that. And he was responsible for success to be a good steward. Doing the right thing has always come with a cost. And I think that, yes, that's very true for his experience. And if you guys don't know what his experience is, you can learn a lot online. But I think that's true in in anything. You can't always look at, well, I did the right thing. Now I should get a reward. Doing the right thing is very likely going to cost you, maybe not monetarily, but it could cost you a relationship. It could cost you a job. It could cost you any number of things. But to have the expectation that just do the right thing because it's the right thing, regardless of what expense is going to have. Right. And um, and he used multiple examples, but probably the biggest example was when they had the Supreme Court ruling um, when Healthcare Act came through and he was going to be forced to be able to, through his company, to provide healthcare. healthcare. And it caused a conflict with his faith with what he was going to have to provide. Mm-hmm. And it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And he won, but it was going to cost him $1.3 million a day, which would effectively have caught, it would have shut down Hobby Lobby as a whole. 
in nine right. months. He said nine months. He would have bankrupt the company. But he's like, we just knew this was the right thing to do. And we knew that it was going to come with a cost. And they won the case five to four. Mm-hmm. So a very narrow margin. And it did have a big dip. And then for a, time. for a little bit of a time. And then the rebound came because again, doing the right thing is doing the right thing, but not with the expectation of the rebound. Like he said that more than once, I don't do it with any expectation of rebound. I just know it's the right thing to do. And I know it's going to cost me. And right. if it costs me, it costs me. But he also made a good point when he was, because Hobby Lobbies aren't open on Sundays and they weren't always not open on Sundays. But as he kind of felt led to to do that, he's, he did it through in measures. And he said that he took a hit um, on the income from each of the stores over time, but as soon as he made the decision to not be open in the last state, I don't know which state that was, state was, but as soon as they were all closed on Sunday, then revenue started ticking back up. So it was, again, doing the right thing and doing it all, all the way. All the way. Yeah, that was a really good point when he was talking about that, that he was he was scared in the beginning to take it all at one time and yeah. been doing it in stages. You know, I, I wrote down balanced life comes from a good organization. I think we hear about life work balance all the time. And and I hate that term. And yeah, because it's not a balance, it's harmony. <laughs> it's, harmony. It, it's harmony because it's not one or two things. It's not life and or business. It's all the things that are involved in all of those. It's harmony. Um, but he said it comes from a good organization. And I'm thinking about like in our organization making the decision recently to shut our service departments down on Saturday. Um, and looking at what's the cost to the to the organization going to be, you can't help but do that because you know the ultimate like you have to be pro- like to survive you got to be profitable. But right. what's the takeaway by giving the employees that double two day weekend in the service department? And we actually just went through the, a meeting today where we're already seeing that it's like we took a dip for a week. And then since then, it's been a steady increase. And it's because I think that everybody comes back more refreshed and they have a, a full long weekend. And I think a takeaway from that a general takeaway is give change time before you decide if it's good or bad. Right. Don't judge it on its merit until you've actually given it time to show you. Yeah, it's kind of got to marinate. You know, we, we, we had, <laughs> it's got to cook a little bit. It's got to cook, you know. Um, so. <laughs> You know, one of the quotes, he said, the easiest thing to be successful at is our career, but the most important thing to be successful at is your marriage. That's a big quote. Mm -hmm. And they actually, one of the things they do to help help do that is in their organization, they actually have, they put together marriage retreats and Mm -hmm. all kinds of family or family oriented things, but it starts with marriage. Like every, almost everything they do on behalf of the employee, if they're engagement and they're engaging in it and done it a either low cost or no cost. I was trying to remember. I don't remember. But they do a lot of marriage retreats because they said, hey, if we can help have help people in the organization have successful marriages, then the career will take care of itself. Um, uh, more important than the right family member is the right member. So the way they've got their, their business organized now is because eventually, again, he's, he's already seeing the third generation come into the business. He has 17 great-grandchildren, so that's fourth generation deep. And eventually, if they're going to come into the business, there, there may be some, he calls them pluses, mm-hmm. like you know, the in-laws, and that it's more important that they understand the company culture, the family culture, the family history, like the way they even bring them in and, and have the, the ritual of 
giving the family Bibles mm-hmm. to the in-laws, but it attracts the right member to the organization based on family history and family core values and business core values. So, yeah. yeah. I think it's setting the expectation that you're going to live in excellence. Right. We're just expecting it, right? The expectation. Oh, yeah. Um, the golden rule train. Oh, that was the other thing that they had put in place actually through the Christian Employees Alliance, mm-hmm. which was his, his lawyer, mm-hmm. his legal counsel. One of the things they implemented in Hobby Lobby was the golden rule training. Um, in other words, all their training revolved around how, to, how would you like to be treated if you were on the other side of this situation? Mm-hmm. Um, and how any type of HR problem could, could be solved with that one thing. You know, whether it be sexual harassment in the workplace or how you treat the customer in the workplace or how you handle a situation in the workplace. If, if all the training revolved around the golden rule, mm-hmm. do one to others. Um, let's see. What's some of your takeaways? These are all from my notes. What were oops, highlights for you? All of their all of their family members are given an opportunity. If they want to, they can work in the organization. But that comes with a working up in the organization. So if a grandchild, or at this point, there are some great grandchildren that will probably within the next five or six yeah, years, five or six years be a could potentially years. go in and do, um, do some work. But they have to start in a local store. So they have to start at kind of the bottom. And they don't come right into corporate. They don't aren't, They aren't given a job. They aren't provided a title um, and being paid for it, they have to learn the business from the bottom up. And I think that speaks to obviously a a lot of learning moments because in each of the positions in the hierarchy, you're going to have different challenges and you're going to be faced with different things that you're going to have to figure out. And that's why it kind of goes back to teaching you how to do hard things um, is really important because not only are you getting the job experience, but you're also really kind of seeing in the very bottom level what your family stands for Mm -hmm. because you're coming in and you can embody it and be successful or not. And that's they're given that choice, but I think it's awesome that they have to start at the bottom, that they're not automatically just given a seat at the table on a level that they don't even comprehend yeah. what, what goes on below that. Yeah. So you, somebody, you washed cars. So yeah. I think that can kind of go back to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But coming through this, yeah, this organization that I'm a part of dad's organization and starting out in the detail department, washing cars, it's yeah, I'd say it can set you up for failure. Otherwise, um, and when you said that, it brought something to mind. One of the things that I loved, and I actually spoke about this while we were there, when we kind of were going through some of the takeaways, was the way they've got it structured. Because you start at that level, and you learn about the company at a very at a very basic level, um, but having an interest to be involved in the company, seeing issues as they arise, seeing areas for opportunity, but it also allows them to dream about what impact can they have in the organization. I said it gives them the freedom to dream. So the grandkids that are in the business now have all worked through the organization, through different departments. Not all of them. Not all the grandchildren. No, the three that that we we saw. saw. The the two that we saw in the the Mm in-law have worked through the organization. And that has given them the freedom to dream about their impact individually. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the granddaughter that was there, you know, she saw the Supreme Court case and the stance they took there with the healthcare stance, which 
because of what she learned about it, she figured out, hey, there's a lot of pro-life organizations out there that are that are separated. There's got to be a way to bring them together so that there's no wasted effort. Like we can all combine the effort. We all have one common goal, one thing that we're looking to do. And just by being involved in the case, as well as being involved in the business, it allowed her to create that coalition of pro-life just based on, a, on what she saw. Hey, there's room for improvement. There's a space that I can go into that's not necessarily in the retail space, but it's in the mission side of things. Mm-hmm. And because it lines up with Hobby Lobby's core values, right? They see it. She's doing her own fundraising, her own organization of that organization. But Hobby Lobby is is right beside her in the in the fight. You know, helping fund it, helping her do fundraising, helping her make connections. But had she not been involved in it with the freedom to dream, how to make how to make an impact, like it would have never happened. Right. Right. And I just I do want to highlight that she um, was responsible for raising her own funding funding for that organization. Right. It wasn't gifted. It's Same no, thing. Yeah. There's no gifting. There's no gifting. Right. They will help. Right. But they're not going to be the sole source of funds. Right. It's you've got to do the work. If you believe in it, you'll find it. And when you find it, we'll come with you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's. And she had worked. Um, she had worked under Mart, mm-hmm. um, David's son, in the business. She had worked um, on the publishing side, I think, and then she had worked with um, in the Bible Museum right. in DC as well, and had done something else. She had done a couple positions, but right. that was what she was doing now. Right. Um, yeah, the Bible Museum was her main function with that mm-hmm. mission, and then the grandson, David Tyler. Tyler. His impact was local. Mm-hmm. It was homeless. It was um, the refugees that were released that were brought in to Oklahoma City because on a per capita basis, I was trying to remember where they were from. Just focus it, on it, yeah, Anyway, but they, they brought in more refugees per capita than any other city in the United States, mm-hmm. He, which allowed him to see a need because Hobby Lobby was involved with that, hiring some of them, giving them a job, gainful employment. But he saw the need of housing was part of it. It's housing, um, ESL classes, connecting them to community resources and community, um, but, but just getting them plugged in to, yeah, to resources. More than anything. And that would not have happened had he not been involved in the retail space. But by being involved in the retail space and seeing a need and having the ability to dream his way through it and then saying, okay, well, I'm going to help put funding together for that. Mm-hmm. And it lines up with the core values of the company. So then the company says, okay, you find funding and we'll come with you. So a lot of great takeaways, but in respect of how we do things here, it's about family and marriage. Mm -hmm. And I think probably the biggest takeaway, if anybody listening could hear one thing, it would be the easiest thing to become successful at is your career. But the most important thing to be successful at is your marriage. I think that would be the first takeaway or the biggest takeaway for me. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Mm -hmm. So anything else you want to touch on? Mm. I think we've hit it all. Oh, by no means have we hit it all, but we have run out of time. <laughs> so trying to keep it concise today to just a little, a little less than what we normally do, because it usually goes a little long when we have mm. other people carrying on conversation. We get to talk enough at home. <laughs> so I appreciate your time today. Um, one thing we never asked for is sharing the podcast if it has impacted you, and what I'll say is if someone came to mind when you're listening to our podcast, if you'll just send it to them. You know, about four years ago, I started doing that 
as a habit. If somebody came to mind when I was listening to a book or listening to a podcast or reading a book, I would take a copy of that book and I would send it as a gift. Or in fact, we did that this week. Mm -hmm. Or if I was listening to a podcast and somebody came to mind, I would just share the podcast. And what overwhelmingly happens or has happened for me is the person that's on the receiving end of that goes, you have no idea how much I needed that particular thing, whether it be a podcast or a book or sermon or whatever, at the moment that you send it. Right. And that's not because of anything magical in me. It's because I feel like Holy Spirit said, hey, they need what you're hearing right now. So send it. And so getting really in tune to listening to that voice of who needs to hear what. So if you heard something today that you think somebody needs to hear, or if you've heard something in other podcasts that you've listened to that we've done, I'll say just to share it because there's a reason that that person came to your mind. Absolutely. Gotcha. So I pray to soon. Will you pray us out? Sure. All right. Father God, thank you for giving us another opportunity to just sit and share and have conversation that could spark other conversations to have impact in places that we don't even have an idea, but you do. And you're going to make sure that gets handled. Give us grace in every day and help us understand that you've got it all figured out. We just need to be more trusting and we need to be more intentional in everything that we do. Help us to always pay attention to the slight nudges and to always be mindful of how we show up. We stand in agreement on these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Faith Family Fulfillment, brought to you by Chris and Suzanne Vester. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and stories. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Chris and Suzanne on Instagram at H-V-A-U-T-O-C-O-O and Suzanne.C.Vester. That's at S-U-Z-A-N-N-E dot C dot V-E-S-T-E-R. 